He's Scott Ritter. You've come to the right place if you want to hear some in-depth discussion on the current state of the war. Scott, thanks for uh, joining me. Let me uh, start with the uh, poll question that we have posed. Uh, is I didn't include the Ukraine because, in a way, that's too obvious, uh, and there's a war already raging. But do you think there's going to be a war in Asia, in Iran, in China? Can we really be talking about war on all those fronts? No, I, um, first of all, we, we know that the United States is backing away from, uh, conflict with China. Um, uh, Lieutenant General in the United States Air Force, uh, General Hinault has uh, briefed the White House and the Pentagon on the results of, uh, consecutive, uh, war games that the Pentagon has run, uh, regarding a potential conflict with China over Taiwan. And the United States loses badly every single time. And his conclusion was there's no sense in getting involved in a course of action that could potentially lead to an armed conflict because it is a fait accompli going in that we're going to lose. This is why we saw Tony Blinken go to China to reset uh, relations, uh, Janet Yellen as well. Um, and and I, I think you're going to see a de-escalation uh, in China. I mean, it, there's still lunacy going on, but uh, I think both sides understand that, especially after January of next year, when there's going to be elections in Taiwan that will probably oust the current um, party and replace it with the Kuomintang, which is more inclined towards a peaceful resolution of these issues, uh, that the U.S. does want to be on the outside looking in when it comes to being able to influence Taiwan politics. So I think uh, we're pretty safe there. Iran Look, the U.S. can send as many ships as it wants to the Persian Gulf. The reality is Iranian military capabilities are such that they will sink all of these ships. Uh, General Berger, the commandant of the Marine Corps, has restructured uh, Marine Corps amphibious warfare doctrine, uh, recognizing that uh, reliance upon legacy systems such as large amphibious ships is suicidal uh, when dealing with the anti-shipping uh, missile capability of nations such as Iran. So this is a show of force, nothing more. I am very concerned about Niger. We have 1,100 um, U.S. military forces deployed in a $100 million base that we purpose-built uh, in, in Niger. We're not going to give this up easily. I, um, you know, I, 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 I'm concerned about what happens if ECOWAS uh, does mobilize and dispatch a 25,000-strong military intervention force, and they get their noses bloodied, will the United States feel compelled to uh, to provide support? And uh, we could see sort of an incremental um, engagement there. I'm hopeful for diplomacy, but uh, I, 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 I'm, uh, on this one, sadly, I have to uh, I have to say uh, I believe that conflict is the more likely outcome. I'd love to be proved wrong on that, but unfortunately, I that's how I see well, it. Well, right the... Now. The, the angel of death, uh, Victoria Newland, uh, paid them a visit. They seem to have given her short shrift. Maybe she thought a bag of cookies uh, would suffice uh, to bring these uh, generals to heel. Didn't work out that way, did it? No, not only that, um, it, it seems that uh, the United States is uh, scared to death of this organization uh, called Wagner. And she gave a specific warning to the Niger government not to get involved in Wagner uh, or, or with Wagner. And I, I think was you know I'm not here to uh, you know tout the uh, the benefits of, uh, of of working with Wagner. What I am here to say is that uh, the Russians through Wagner 
are providing a um, an alternative to the post-colonial um, you know uh, deprivations of uh, or predations of France and England of uh, the United States global hegemony. Uh, there's there's competition right now for African security, and more and more African nations like Mali, Burkina Faso, now perhaps Niger are leaning towards the Russians because they trust them more. They don't they don't have the same taint of uh, of the colonial uh, rape, I'm sorry to use that word, of, of Africa. And uh, Victoria Newland uh, seems to be scared to death that Wagner uh, could or would get involved. And uh, it seems that she's failed on that front as well. So let's turn to the, to the main uh, dish, uh, which is, of course, the Ukraine war. I wanted to ask you about the, the war of words uh, issue that, uh, the mass of the people are being fed a daily diet still, even now uh, that Ukraine is winning the war that the Russian military is decrepit and running out of this and that cannibalizing washing machines and uh, Ukrainian women are bringing down uh, uh, Russian ordnance uh, from uh, via tins of tomatoes thrown out of their their windows and all of this bilge but in the heavyweight newspapers, in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Times, the Telegraph in London, they're actually inching closer towards the truth that Ukraine has comprehensively lost this war. And the only question now is how far the Russians are going to go. How, how, do, how is the public going to be, as it were, led from one of these positions to the other? Well, it's interesting because uh, what we're seeing at the same time that, as you call it, the heavyweight uh, newspapers who had previously been seeing, actually printing some of the stories that you talked about. Uh, so they're not that heavyweight, George. They're capable of, uh, no. you know, imbecilic, uh, juvenile reporting. <laughs> but, you know, they are confronted with a reality now that, that they have to adjust to. And that reality is that Russia is winning this war. Russia will win this war. The Ukraine's defeat will be... Um, uh, strategic in nature, comprehensive in nature. So at the same time they're doing this, though, we have Tony Blinken and we have Joe Biden saying uh, Putin has lost this war. Russia has lost this war. It's It seems nonsensical to have the simultaneous broadcasting of what appears to be contradictory me- uh, messages, but they're not. Because you have to put this in perspective of what just transpired in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia last week, where uh, I think 40 nations came together to talk about the uh, you know, Zelensky's 10-point peace plan, of course, it's 10 points that require Russia to surrender, turn over their, uh, to Putin, to war crimes, to give up Crimea, give up territory, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. None of these 10 points will ever be implemented. And this is the reality that Ukraine was confronted with by the rest of the world who said, now you're really going to have to start thinking about uh, accepting reality, give up this territory that Russia's already occupied. You might not ever be a member of NATO. There, you know, things are things are like that. How do you get the United States, because this is a political question, how do you get the American people to accept the inevitability of a negotiated settlement? It can't be because Russia won. It has to be because Russia lost. I know it sounds silly, but if we convince the American people that an eventual negotiated settlement, even if Zelensky gets none of the 10 points, is because Russia was compelled to come to the table to accept these terms, the American people, trust me, are dumb enough to believe this and say, oh, yeah, look how good we were. We we compelled Russia 
to come to the table and accept these terms. But the reality is Russia is defeating the Ukrainian military, defeating NATO, and it's NATO and the United States that are coming to the table. They're going to bring Ukraine with them. Um, but it's going to be spun because it's all about spinning this. It's going to be spun that Russia lost this war. Russia realized it couldn't continue this war. So Russia accepted peace terms. But look at the peace terms. It's everything that Russia is going to be demanding. And again, if Ukraine doesn't, you know, bend on this, this war will continue. And as, as you said, uh, Ukraine will lose more. And I think that's going to be the culminating point when the military collapses, when the air defense collapses. When it becomes clear that if Ukraine continues the conflict, they will lose significantly more territory, that's when I think you're going to see Ukraine flip and accept peace terms that uh, Russia uh, is demanding. But it will be spun that Russia lost this war. Unless, of course, uh, Zelensky is removed from office before that. I've asked you this before, but the more I look at the appalling losses, of the Ukrainian armed forces and the extreme difficulty they are now having in drafting off the street, uh, press ganging, uh, and, and drafting even physically and mentally disabled people and sending them to the front. The more I look at that, the more it seems to me inevitable, certainly in other parts of the world at other times, where a class of military officers say, uh, we, we can't do this anymore. And if the politicians insist that we do, we'll have to change the politicians. Is, I ask you again, you said no last time, but have you changed your mind at all on that? Might there be a removal of Zelensky from office? You know, uh, Politico uh, ran an article that hypothesized that, uh, but it said what happens if Russia removes Zelensky from office? I don't think Russia is going to be moving Zelensky from office. Zelensky is the best weapon they ever had, his incompetence, um, has, has facilitated the scope and scale of the Russian victory. Uh, but you are right. We could be reaching a, uh, Kerensky, um, 1917 moment where the, um, where, where the military just says, we're done. We're putting down our weapons. We're moving to, uh, we're moving to, to Kiev to get rid of the government that's, uh, that's forcing this, this down our throat. And the more these brigades get destroyed, the more, um, it, the desperation becomes apparent to all parties involved, the more likely that outcome is. And it, that's problematic, though, for all parties except the military. Because remember, we, we, we preface this by talking about the, the, the absolute reality of a negotiated settlement. There will be a negotiated into this war. Russia doesn't want to occupy. They don't have the force structure to do that right now. It's not their goal. It's not their objective. They want the war to end on their terms, a negotiated settlement. All negotiations that have taken place to date have been through the, the, the Zelensky government. If you remove him, you can't predict who's going to replace him. You can't say it's going to be somebody who is suing for peace. It might be somebody who is saying we need to wage this conflict in a more competent fashion, which then extends the war. So I don't think either Russia or the collective West um, would stand by idly while a, a Ukrainian military. Know around, yeah. I don't know what's happened. No. Everything just went black. Okay, sure, yeah, yeah. Um so I, I'm I'm um you know, I'm concerned about uh you know Zelensky's future to be honest, because I think that the the fastest pathway to peace 
is to keep Zelensky in power uh, because he has set that defined the four corners of involvement. To look at his desperation, he came out of, you know, they came out of Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and he was briefed by his diplomats on what the rest of the world was saying. Uh, he went on TV and uh, gave one of the most remarkably um, uh, farcical and fanciful uh, presentations regarding Crimea and how the, the, the fix is in, Ukraine's going to retake Crimea, they're going to begin the process of rebuilding it, repopulating it, uh, making it all wonderful and wonderful. He had to say that because everything the Ukrainian people were reading out of uh, Jeddah said that um, the world is saying that there must be territorial uh, concessions inclusive of Crimea. And politically, Zelensky had no choice but to uh, to make this statement. But it's an absurd statement. They'll never get in. Here's the last thing. I, and I bring this up. You mentioned Oppenheimer in your lead up. Uh, today is the 78th anniversary of the Nagasaki bombing. Nobody talks about Nagasaki. We always talk about Hiroshima on August 6th. And then we forget the fact that a second bomb was dropped. Um, nuclear war is an ever-present reality. And for those people who say, hey, it's okay for Ukraine to want to get back Crimea and it's good for the West to try and empower that, what you're saying is you want to die because Crimea is Russia. And if anything happens that made a Ukrainian victory over Crimea possible, there's a 100% certainty that Russia would use nuclear weapons and then we're all going to die. So if you say we need to help Ukraine win this conflict by retaking Crimea, what you're really saying is I want to commit suicide. Because that's the end result. You'll be dead. We'll all be dead. This is why we need to push for a negotiated end to this war that meets Russia's terms and conditions. And it's not unjust to say that Russia deserves to get what it wants. It wasn't Russia that launched the coup d'etat in 2014. It was the CIA. It wasn't Russia that empowered the Banderas Nazis to take over. It wasn't Russia that inflicted ethnic genocide on the uh, Russian-speaking populations. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, history shows that Russia's on the right side of history in this conflict. War is never a good thing. It's never the ideal option. And the best thing we could do is try and facilitate the uh, conditions under which this war can come to a rapid conclusion. But it's not going to be on the terms dictated by Zelensky. It's going to be on the terms dictated by Russia. Uh, lastly, uh, I was ruminating in my uh, monologue about the the sheer, I don't know, hypocrisy doesn't sum it up, but, you know, you talked about Niger. It is completely unacceptable for a coup to remove the elected president of Niger. But we're on the brink of World War Three over a coup that removed the elected president of Ukraine, which we didn't just support, we actually helped organized. Victoria Newland was on the streets giving out the cookies. I mean, you've been pretty near the top, Scott. You know these people. Does this double standard never occur to them? It would to me. I promise you, it would to me. Well, first of all, George, I just want to compliment you on your monologue. Um, A, I've never laughed so hard, and I've never wanted to cry so hard. Your, uh, your content is, is so disturbing, but your method of, uh, of, 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 of telling your rhetoric is masterful and I applaud you for it. Please continue doing what you're doing. Uh, and the answer, of course, George, you know this answer. You were in parliament. The answer is they know they're hypocritical 
but that's okay because they will spin it. These are spin masters. They are experts at information warfare. They run information operations designed to shape perceptions to meet their needs. This isn't about doing what's right. This is about doing what's what supports their greed, supports their you know their 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 dreams of empire, their dreams of hegemony, their corruption. Uh, you've talked about the Biden corruption, and you rightly pointed out that every administration leading up to it was as corrupt or even more corrupt than Joe Biden, if that's possibly imaginable. You can't be that corrupt in power if things like hypocrisy disturb you. These are people who hypocrisy is a way of life, but they are masters of rhetoric, not like you. You use rhetoric to tell the truth. You use rhetoric to inform. They use rhetoric to manipulate, to deceive, to lie, to shape, to get a result that otherwise wouldn't be accomplished if they even had the common courtesy and courage to speak truth on occasion. Scott, here's a... I, I missed that question. If you could repeat it, we had a, a technical glitch, I think, a hiccup. <laughs> uh, good evening, George and team, and good evening, Scott Ritter. Thank you to you all for all of the hard work that you put into these shows um, and for, for letting us know what's really going on. Uh, message to Scott, my question is, America spent $877 billion on the military, on their military last year, uh, my question is, why are they running out of weapons and why are they so slow to manufacturing new weapons or replacement weapons when they're chucking that much money at the military? Where's all the money going? Scott, it's a good question, isn't it? If I could answer that, um, I mean, I can't answer it, but uh, it, I shouldn't be the one answering it. An inspector general should be answering But you know what? They have. The United States, the Pentagon doesn't even hide the fact that over the course of the last decade, there's a trillion dollars they can't account for. They just don't know where it went. It's gone. Trillion. That's with a T, not a B. B is big enough. I mean, <laughs> an M is big enough. You give me an M, Ilian, I'm very happy. You put a B on it, I'm like, a T I can't even imagine. The Pentagon has lost a trillion dollars. They don't know where it went. Look, the United States budget, isn't about national security. That's the first thing people have to understand. The United States budget is about greed. It's about corruption. We don't build weapons that are designed to help the service members prevail in combat. We build weapons to keep the manufacturers of weapons in their luxury apartments, in their big cars, in their vacation getaways. That's what it's all about. When we procure a weapon system, it takes forever. They bid low. As they go in, it gets changed. It's a game that's played with Congress. Congress knows this. They accept the low bid, and then they accept the contract extensions because the contract extensions are tied to factories in their jurisdictions where jobs are. More money is pouring into their jurisdiction. It is a grift on the American taxpayer to take money from the American taxpayer and use it as a jobs program to enhance the political viability of these candidates. They will never change this because this is how they stay in power. We can't build the weapons you're talking about because defense industry is not there to do the right thing for the national security. They can't make money building artillery shells for Ukraine because it would require them to capitalize new production lines, and they don't want to do that. 
They won't don't want to do that unless there's a big contract that they can stretch out, stand as part of a program to grift, to steal, to, 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 to deceive the American taxpayer. The Pentagon's budget is a criminal enterprise. Look, the honest-to-God fact is that we could slash easily $400 billion from the Pentagon's budget and have a stronger military today than the one that we exist. The reality is the bigger the budget is, the weaker America becomes because the more it becomes about enriching defense industry and the less it becomes about doing what's right for the Marine, the soldier, the sailor, the airman, for the American people. This is one of the biggest criminal enterprises that has ever existed on the planet. Um, but there it is right in front of you. I wish I could say something different. 